0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Have a seat. Kids can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms. And if you have Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those and uh, open those up, navigate through uh, to Acts chapter 1. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at the church, and I am so excited about what God uh, is doing uh, with us as a body. And today we're starting a new series entitled uh, Foundations. And uh, the foundation series actually goes hand-in-hand uh, with our small group uh, that we're doing over the next month, also entitled Foundations. Uh, and so what we want to do is we want to move forward into what we're going to call a covenant Sunday or commitment Sunday. And this is a Sunday. This is a morning, uh, where we're asking people to either affirm or reaffirm, uh, their commitment, not only to Christ, uh, but to us as a body and to, uh, to the church. And so I want to remind you first and foremost, as you're in the book of Acts, that God is a covenant God. God is a God that makes promises to us, and God is a God that keeps his promises to us, and, and this God is a God that wants to uh, make a promise with you and with us as a local church. So uh, I, I want to just, uh, in the Old Testament, I want to show you uh, the new covenant that God is making with his people. The first one is found uh, in Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's verse 33 through 34. He says, this is the, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So God comes to his people and he says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. I'm gonna make a promise with you. He says, I'm gonna make a, a promise to my people after those days, declares the Lord. He said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer... Shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, hey, you should know the Lord? For they shall know me, because I live in them. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so God comes and he promises to his people. He reiterates the promise in Ezekiel 36. Verse uh, 36 through 24, he says, I will take you from the nations, people from all over the world. I will gather you from all over the countries and I will bring you into your own land. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. He says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God says, I will put my spirit, that's capital S, Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your father's. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What is really powerful about the new covenant, about the new promises that we see the new covenant being fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, what's really powerful about the new covenant is that God sends Jesus to seal the covenant by his own blood. And not only does Christ seal the covenant for his church, but he purchases eternal life for those who would believe. He purchases eternal life for his people. But not only does he gift us eternal life through Jesus and through the new covenant, but he also gives us faith. And he also gives us obedience that's needed in order to inherit the eternal life. You see what it says? All the I wills were all God. God makes the promise. God fulfills the promise. God says, I'm making a a covenant with you. I'm going to fulfill this covenant that I'm making. Which which means that, that God says, listen, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I will forgive you. I will wash you. I will make you clean. I will put my spirit in you. And that spirit will allow you to walk the way I intended you to walk. That spirit will allow you to live the way I intended you to live. God says, I will do it. I will write it on your hearts. Which means this is good news for sinners like me because here's the deal, is that God doesn't leave it up to us. God doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm gonna keep my end if you just keep your end. That's the old covenant, the new covenant. It says, I'm keeping my end and I'm putting my spirit in you so that you can keep your end of the covenant. You will be my end people. And so God, not only is the author or the finisher, he is the sustainer. He is the one that fulfills the covenant. So so here's the deal. Over the next four weeks as a church, we want to devote our time together to helping you, each one of you, understand the God-given purpose for your life. The, the God-given purpose for your life. And so, and so at the end of this foundation series, again, we wanna have what we call a, a commitment Sunday, a covenant Sunday, where we say, yes, God has made his covenant to me. I am saved, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit, and I am now making my commitment, my covenant to the local body. And so here's, here's what happens, is we want people who are members of LifePoint, whether previous or new members, we want them to affirm or even reaffirm the covenant commitment that Christ made to us and the commitment that we're making to each other. And so we desire to give every one of you an opportunity to step in to this covenant. We we want to give everyone an opportunity to step into the great gift that God gives us by committing ourselves to Jesus and committing ourselves to the local church. And I want to tell you that the reason... The reason why the pastors and I, we feel like we needed to start 2018 with this series is, is because one of the weaknesses that we have in the body is that we've not been clear about what it means. Or we've not been clear of why it's important for people to commit themselves ultimately to Christ and be unified with the local church. And, and so that being said, uh, there, is, there is a requirement for all of you who want to be or have been members of LifePoint Church, so whether you've been a mission partner in the past or uh, you've never officially joined the church and want to or uh, you're just kind of here checking it out and you want to see what LifePoint Church is all about, we're requiring that all members, both past and future, complete the four-week foundations class that we're offering throughout the month. And it's actually kicking off tonight. And so it's gonna be offered throughout the week. And so if you've not already signed up, many, many of you have, but if you've not already signed up and you say, man, I wanna know what this church is all about and I wanna step in to what God has called me to do, uh, you could take out your cell phone right now and you can just simply text your name and the day that you want to gather with the foundation, they're all going through the same thing. And so just text your name to that number with the day that you want to attend, and someone will uh, reply to that right after the services uh, today. So uh, that's what we want to do, is, is right now understand the commitment that God makes to us and step into the commitment that he calls us to make with the church. Today, today we're looking at uh, what is the gospel and how does it relate to the church? So, the gospel and the church, they're not two different things. They're not uh, separated apart. And so, today we're going to take a look at how the gospel and the church actually go hand in hand. So, you should be in Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 1. The book of Acts comes to us right after the resurrection of Jesus. So, Jesus raises from the dead. The author, Luke, he says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke says, in my gospel... I wrote to you and I wrote to you about the birth of Christ. I wrote to you about the life of Christ. I wrote to you about the miracles of Christ. I wrote to you about the teachings of Christ. And we got to see the person and the work live of Jesus Christ first and foremost. He says, remember, I wrote this to you, but now after his resurrection, how Jesus died and he was crucified for our sins, he rose to life and now he's appeared to us and he's been hanging out for about 40 days now. Right? And then he uh, rose from the grave and then he ascends and he says, Listen, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. I want you, want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because Jesus knew that without the Holy Spirit, his church would pretty much be useless. We need help. Because listen, we can't keep his commands, we can't walk in his ways, we can't have power to glorify God in our lives without the Spirit. So he says, Go, and I want you to wait. And then he ascends into heaven. And so these these guys, these these people who saw Jesus raised from the dead, they gathered together. The Bible says that there was about 120 of them. They were gathering together from the day uh, from the Passover to, to Pentecost, which is 50 days. There's 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, so Jesus hung out with them for for 40 days, and then he ascended, and so in Acts chapter 2, we see 120 people are gathered together on the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost is where these people from all over the the land, tribes and tongues and nations and people from all these different groups would, would come together into Jerusalem, and so what was happening is these people, they, they were gathering together, and, and what happens, it says that the, the, the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus told them they would be. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then, and then as they continue to pray, and as they continue to worship God, all of a sudden, all these people from all these different nations start hearing them speaking in their own native language, and it says, it says that they were amazed, and they were astonished. Why would they th- that be? Because they're all Galileans. How is, this, how is this happening? We're all hearing them speak and pray and praise in our own, in our own tongue. How is that possible? Well, Peter, Peter, being uh, knowing that God is a God of unity, he stands up and he gives an account and he says, "Hey, listen, this is, this is what's happening." He, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he addresses the situation. He, he, uh, he quotes the prophet Joel, and with great boldness, he begins to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so, so, for time's sake, I'm not going to read to you the entire message, but it, uh, flip over to Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up. He starts to tell them what they're hearing and how that's the Spirit. And then in verse 21, he ends the quote from Joel. He says, and it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and mighty wonders and mighty signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the fangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So so here's what he's saying. God promised that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. What you're experiencing, what you're seeing in action is the new covenant promise of how God seals us and fills us with his spirit. What you're seeing is is the work of God through the gospel. And and, and he goes on and he begins to tell him that the gospel. And and here's what it is, is is over the entirety of scripture, we see that God is good. And you and I, listen, you and I, we're hostile and willing enemies of God. We've gone our own way. We've gone astray. We, don't, we want other things, other pleasures, other wants, other desires, other things that would somehow fulfill our hearts other than God. And so every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray and walked away from the God and the pleasures of God and the joys of God and the sustaining love of God. We have chased other things. Because our hearts and our minds were darkened in such a way, we, we decided to choose everything else besides God. God. And if that's not bad enough, the bad news is that that because we're re- completely rebellious, we're unable and unwilling really to save ourselves. Because, because the guilty are still guilty, even if they do good things. We're still guilty before a holy God. Hear me, and God's right and just penalty. For our sin, for our running away from our creator and the lover of our souls, our penalty for sin is that we have all received the curse of death. It says the wages of our sin is death, which means means for eternity we we deserve to be separated from our heavenly father. Which means everything good and perfect that comes from God, we don't get to experience for eternity. There is a separation from us and God because of our sin. And God himself, being holy and righteous, listen, is the only one who could pay the debt. He's the only one that could pay the penalty. And in Acts 2, verse 23, it says that Jesus, the sinless son of God, was the plan to pay the debt from the beginning. It was predetermined. It was the foreknowledge of God. God knew that he would have to sacrifice his own son in order to bring the people back into a covenant relationship with him. You see, Jesus became the sin for us. He bore the wrath of the Father for us, and he died on a cross, the death that we deserve to die, so that we might be brought back to God, which means, follow me, which means Jesus is both just and the justifier. He's the both the maker of the promise and the fulfiller of the promise of those who would be justified. And so look in in verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, now, what that means, what that means is that Jesus is both God and holy and the Savior. He's both Lord and Messiah. He's the perfect, holy, righteous one that has come to save you and I from our sin and from our penalty of sin, which is death. Jesus is both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. Now, the question that every one of us should be asking is how do I partake in that gift? How do I receive the promise? How do I step in to that new covenant through Jesus Christ? Well, well, here's the deal. It's in order to prevent human boasting, taking pride in ourselves or, or working something that we can't work out for ourselves, that the Bible says that there's only one way. That God would allow us to be saved, and that's by his grace, and that's through faith. That we can acknowledge that God is both just and the justifier. You see, these people, when they heard this, when they heard that they were separated from God, and that they killed Jesus, listen, when they heard that, you know what the Bible says? It says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart, and they asked the question, which I hope you're asking the question, what do we do? What, what should we do? Well, look in, look in verse 38. Look at what it says. They asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, come back to God. Profess Jesus as your Lord. Profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized. Make that public proclamation before all to see that you, they know that Jesus is your Lord and he will forgive your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the new covenant. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So listen to me. The gospel goes out. People are asking, what do we do? The Bible says that 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus. 3,000 people turned from their ways. They repented and they went after God. 3,000 people were baptized that day. It says that 3,000 were filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit as the gospel goes out. Now, Now look what happens when they receive the gospel, when three thousand people receive the gospel, look in Acts two, verse forty-two, and they. Let me ask you a question: Who's the they? The three thousand. Bam, John, you got it, man. That's why he's the pastor here. Yeah, you, you can you can talk with me. Listen, it's the three thousand. The people who just put their faith in Jesus. Listen, they devoted. Everyone say devoted. No. There you go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. It says the 3,000 were now put their faith in Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, and then they devoted themselves to to the church. They committed themselves. So, so throughout the New Testament, listen, wherever the gospel was proclaimed, it left behind a church. Wherever people came to faith in Jesus, it left behind a gathering of believers, a unified body, a committed body to one another to help building each other up and advancing the gospel. That's what happens when the gospel comes into a man. That's what happens when the gospel comes into a bird. That's what happens when you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Listen, in order for you as a Christian to step into God's purpose for your life, there needs to be devotion to the advancing of the gospel and the building up of the body, which is the very reason why God would send his spirit in the first place. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're gonna receive power. What's the power for? So that you would be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, here where you are, among the people, you'll receive power. In Jerusalem, and to Judea, and to Samaria, and, and, and to all over the world. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit so that you would have power to be my witnesses, to advance the gospel and build up the body. See, the Spirit is given so that born-again believers in Jesus would witness the glory of God in them and so that they would be used by God to advance the good news of Jesus and to build up those around them. Let me ask you, if that's true, If if, if the new covenant is true, and God says, I'm going to save you, I'm going to wash you, I'm going to make you my people, I'm going to be your God, I'm going to put my spirit within you, and I'm going to use you to be a testimony to my glory, to the ends of the earth. How is it that in this day and age, so many people will call themselves Christians, but somehow then separate receiving Jesus as Lord and their commitment to the local church. I mean, how is that even possible? Nowhere in the New Testament do we see a disconnection between receiving the gospel of Jesus and receiving the call to be the church. I mean, is it even possible? Think about it. Is it even possible to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit in your life. And to say in your heart, I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I am no longer my own. I have been covered by and sealed by the blood of Jesus and not be devoted to the very people Christ died for? Is that even possible? I mean, is it possible to surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and then all of a sudden say, I'm not going to commit myself to helping the church grow and the glory of God move forward and to build up the saints? Is it even possible? Well, let me tell you something. The most common answer in the American Christian world would be, yeah, it is possible. I've been doing it for years. I've been doing it for years. Most Christians would say, yeah, it is possible. The majority of churchgoers would say, yeah. And let me just simply be honest with you. It is possible, but it's called sin. It's called sin. Because here's the deal. If you're a Christian... You're not only committing yourself to God, but you're committing yourself to the work of God. You're committing yourself to, as a born-again believer, to be an ambassador for Christ, to advance the gospel, to build up the body, to to step into your God-given purpose for your life, the God-plan for your life. And if you're not not stepping into that, then you're forsaking the very reason why God saved you in the first place. You're forsaken, you've neglected the very purpose, the very structure in which God intended to show his glory through the church and to the world. Listen, if your only commitment to Jesus is your commitment to sitting in a crowd one hour a week on Sunday, then let me ask you, what message does that send to your children? I mean, if your commitment to Jesus is an hour a week, your commitment to the church, I mean, let me, let me, what message does that send to the world? What message does it send to new believers who are looking to the elders of the church and the, the people who have been grounded in their faith for a while? What does it say to them? Well, let me tell you what it says. It, it says that Jesus doesn't really call us to surrender. That's the message it gives. The message, Jesus doesn't really call us to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus doesn't really call us to service and sacrifice. All he really wants is just a prayer and maybe to get wet. What's the message? If we're we're devoted to the gospel, we are called to be devoted to the church. I mean, it's no wonder our kids grow up believing that Jesus doesn't want our devotion. Jesus says, I want all all of you. Listen, when the Spirit fills believers, the Spirit unites us together and uses us in that unified commitment as His church to really build up the body, to help strengthen your faith, watching you grow in your faith and and, and advance the gospel and build up the body so that the whole world would know Jesus is Lord. They look at the church and they say, listen, the things of this world, they don't love those things. They love the things of God. They're not building up their kingdom. They're building up the kingdom of God. What is, what is it about this God that is so glorious and so awesome and so mighty and so big that they would be willing to forsake everything and follow him? What kind of God is this? And in the middle of suffering, have joy. In the middle of pain, have unified believers come around you and say, I'm with you. We're together in this. The Spirit is filling us and using us to unite together to show his glory. And so the foundational questions we have to start this entire series with is, have you given your life to Jesus? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. I'm asking you. Have you really surrendered your life to Jesus? Say, Lord, I don't want to be my own anymore. I want you to have me. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my I'm trusting you to fulfill this new covenant in me. I want that. And so if that's you, if you say, yeah, Eric, I've given my life to Jesus, then the next question is, what are you doing with your life? What's your aim? As a born again, saved by grace, sealed by the blood, believer of Jesus Christ, what is your aim in life? It was about six and a half years ago. My wife and I moved to O'Fallon. We, before that, lived in St. Charles, a little condo. Before that, we, we lived in Cameron, Missouri, north of St. Joe. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> we moved here to start a church. About six years ago, we, we felt the Lord leading us to, to move to O'Fallon and, and start this church. And so we we... We moved into a house in a neighborhood right down the road, and, and uh, we got, we, I mean, it was, a, it was a God deal on this house. There's no way we could actually afford it, but, but God just brought it down, and it just kind of delivered it to us, and, and so what happened was we, we got this awesome house in this awesome neighborhood, and, uh, and one thing I love about the house is, is that it was, it was a fixer-upper, right? Uh, but one thing that was true about the house is that the backyard was amazing, Right, You go out my, my back porch and there's the, the deck is so wide and big, like, like we could have picnics out there, like, like we could have the church on and we'd just hang out on the deck, right? And we would have picnics and we'd sit out there. But what I really love is that we've got this fence and the dogs run around and, and we've got these giant trees. You love big trees? It's huge trees, huge trees. And, and this tree over here in this corner uh we've got, we've got a playset. when we first moved in. My kids were younger. We, we built this play set. It has this like wood tower on the top where they can climb up higher in the tree if they want to. And it has this spiral slide and got these monkey. I mean, it's just it's awesome. And, and, then, and then in this tree right here closer to the house, I put this like this rope swing. It's this giant rope that goes up real high and it has this uh, piece of wood that they can sit on. And I would sling these kids in this tree and they'd be like screaming. <laughs> Even now, Dominic 13, screams like a girl. It may be because he thinks the tree's going to fall, but it's not. Like I push these kids on the swing and we hang out there for hours. And, and in this tree, this tree over here, we've got, we've got this hammock where we're in the springtime. We go and we hang out and we drink our morning coffee and we read together and we, and we pray together. And we just hang out on this hammock. It's a super delightful time. And so we love our backyard. But you know what we don't love? Fall. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because in the fall, everything changes. I mean, these leaves, there is a bazillion leaves. Is that even a number? I mean, there are leaves upon leaves upon leaves, and they're all falling and falling and falling. One day we rake the leaves and we clean up the leaves, and the next day it's piled up again. I mean, there are leaves everywhere. And since we have this fence around our yard, they don't go nowhere. They just hang out. You know what I mean? Like they, they're not moving. They're just piling up. And so what happens is all these leaves, they get under the deck and in the landscape and they fall in the gutters and they get in the house and they're, they're, just, they're just, wind blows right. They're just blowing this way and the wind blows this way. And they all blow this way. And so, and so the leaves, they're just everywhere. And, but here's the deal is these leaves, they have no aim whatsoever. No real direction. The wind blows and they move. And that's it. Listen, they're they're full of motion, but they're empty of life. Full of motion and empty of life. They're dead and empty of purpose. Listen, God did not create you in his image and save you through the sacrifice of his son to simply live aimless. He did not sacrifice himself. He did not gift you with his righteousness and take on your unrighteousness in order for you to live aimless and purposeless. He didn't save us to live like lifeless leaves blown around in the backyard of life. Listen, you may be busy. You may be active going here, going there, but you have no aim, Like a dead leaf flowing around my back. He created you. He saved you in order to have purpose, in order to have focus, in order to have aim all of your days. He redeemed you. He formed you. He rooted you in Christ. He gave you a new life so that you could have a purpose. And so my question is, if that's true, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life Because aimlessness is lifelessness. There's a purpose that God saved you and redeemed you. So as we receive Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit calls us. The Holy Spirit does a work in us. And listen, we don't go about business as usual. Some of you, you, you've come to Christ, but nothing changes. It's just business as usual. I just keep doing the same thing. My passions are the same. My drive is the same. I'm not really looking to glorify. I'm not really looking to serve. I'm not really looking to... I'm actually looking to build up my kingdom. Listen, when you give your life to Christ, listen, everything changes. And listen, when you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit fills you, it's not just come to church. You should be restless if you just come to church. If you truly are filled with the Spirit... It's not just sing some songs, and it's not even just sign up for some program. It's a devotion to God, and it's a devotion to his plan for this world and your life. It's a devotion to the church. But hear me, it goes beyond empty get-togethers. It goes beyond empty how-do-you-do's and cheap coffee. It goes beyond all of that, because we don't just simply come together and then just... You know, turn around and go home and watch some TV. Because, listen, that's, that's not what we see in the New Testament church. And it sure as heck is not the church I read about in the book of Acts. It can't be. I mean, have you ever sat there and come into church and say, man, there must be more for me? God, what do, you, what do you have for me? Have you ever asked God, what do you have for me? Sin. he wants to use you, he wants to fill you, he wants to see seal you, and, and we must be devoted to God. And through the church, he has a great plan. We must be devoted to one another. So w- when we come in this morning, we ask God over the next few weeks to affirm or maybe reaffirm in us that, that I'm supposed to be a part of a local church, I'm supposed to be devoted. And listen, it's not even your strength that gets it done. Because some of you right now, you type A people, you're all checking your calendar. I'm not sure if I can pull that off. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are really like, I don't know, I'm overextended anyway. Listen, it's not even you that fulfills it. It's God. I will, he says. I will make you a new people. I will open up the ways... It is my strength. We do not come in our own strength. We do not come in sufficient of ourselves. We do not come mainly even because the the community is beautiful. We come because God is great. God is powerful and God is wonderful and God is awesome and he's a covenant-keeping God, and he's a covenant-fulfilling God who wants to help us and move us and show us and build in us a, a people of his very own that would display the glory to the world. He wants to make a covenant with you. He wants to make you part of his bride. So what we're doing this morning is we're declaring that we want to be the church, that we want to commit to one another For the greater cause of Christ and the glory of God. You know, during the Last Supper, Jesus gathered with his disciples. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. And after he broke it, he he says, as often as you take this, when you take this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. Jesus' body was broken for his church, for the one he loves. His body was broken. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, This is the cup of my blood. This is what? The new covenant. This is the new, this is being fulfilled right now through Jesus and his blood. This is the new covenant that was poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. I'm gonna wash you. I'm gonna make you clean. You're gonna be my people and I'm gonna be your God and I'm gonna put my spirit within you. This is the new covenant. When you come to the table, do it in remembrance of me, he says. And so today, you and I come We're believers, we're Christians because because of the irresistible grace of God. We're believers because of the new covenant promise that God made to his people. It's the new covenant that creates the church. It's the new covenant that that the people, it it says that his church, he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he says he says nothing, not angels, nor demons, nor things far nor things near, nor heaven or on earth, principalities or powers, not, not height, nor depth, nor anything else will ever be able to separate you as my bride and my church from me. I'm fulfilling it. I did it. I will be your God. And so it is because of the new covenant promise that God gives his church, to a son as a bride, a sacred marriage, an oath that provides us and, and unites us together. So today, as you come to the table, we come in response that Jesus has shed his blood, that Jesus has given up his life for his church. Will you pray with me? Oh Jesus. Oh Lord. Lord, today help us as your people remember your sacrifice. Help us see you as good and glorious. Help us see our great need for both you as Lord and Savior. Lord, today, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you seal us by your spirit so that we would be your people? And we don't need to be told; We know God. Today, we want to know you. We want to, we want to know your power. We want, to, we want to know your presence. We come humbly today, God, asking you to unite us as a local display in this city for your glory, that you would unite us as a, as a body, as a church with one hope and one joy, and that's the name of Jesus. Well bring us together as a family. Show us your power. Show us that, that you're going to finish what you started. Help us, Lord. Help us build one another up every day as long as it's called today. Help us be about your kingdom and your good news to the world. Jesus, we come in remembrance that you paid it all. As we pray in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name, the only name under heaven which men can be saved, the name in which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. Amen.